Welcome to the Thrive Without Limits podcast with your host, Jake Deichler, an Olympian, husband, and father, where we aim to deliver an episode each week with an inspiring individual or lesson to help you thrive in your life. Let's have some fun. All right. We are here with uh, Marcus Refslin. Marcus, thanks for coming on today. Man. I'm Paul. Excited. This is going to be fun. Uh, first podcast, we were just we were just talking about cold plunges. Yes, a little bit. You just made me do one. Yeah. What did What did you think? Uh, well, uh, cold plunge. Um, yeah, that was the first time that I've done it. Uh, other than like jumping into some cold water, like you know, Lake Superior or you know, ice plunge uh, in White Bear Lake, a polar plunge. So this was the first time doing it. Yeah. And it was in your garage. It was crazy cold in the dungeon. Uh, it's two degrees out today in Minnesota. So <laughs> great thing. And, anyway. and we sit in there for three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you did a great I, job, I, man. Okay. I saw the breath work come out. Um, it seems we're talking about some fad right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people doing it. A lot of people doing it, which is probably why I have chosen. I like doing hard things. So I, I enjoy, I enjoy the challenge of it. I hate cold water. Um, I, I don't know if I would, uh, want to, uh, do it daily like you. Yeah. Um, but you know, if, if the fad wears off and people stop doing it, I'm all in doing it. It's, like, <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's so funny, right? Like we're in a place where I was just telling you, like, I'm not super comfortable yet posting these things that are like on my Instagram, or my Facebook, Yeah, but there's it's a game changer yeah. like so you know before my wife said well why don't you just use the tub everybody's got it. a lot of people have a tub just yeah. use a tub i'm yeah. like well it's not it's not the same no. you know like right now this time you were pretty fortunate it's two degrees out in minnesota it's finally cold <laughs> but when it sits outside in the garage it's natural i mean right now it's sitting at like high 30s low 40s oh. for my taps on average which is awesome yeah because you get in there you three minutes you come out i mean you feel like a rock star yeah, it, it was interesting. Like it was like right around that halfway point, I could feel my body, you know, starting to shake a little bit. You know, it was like okay, like I'm getting cold, and then like you made me laugh, and I was like mad because I was like okay, like you just made me move. You know, oh yeah, you know, like yeah, all that cold, you know, come a little bit deeper. But then also like what's crazy about it is like it's been what you know 45 minutes since we did it or whatever, and yeah. I feel great. Oh yeah, like there is a, there is an effect, like you know, like it's like okay, I, I did it to check the box to you know see if I was mentally able, you know, strong enough to do this, but uh, but man, it does have an effect. It's I, I feel awake. I feel yeah. my body feels like it's it's uh, it feels clean. Yeah, it feels like just like I don't know, it just cold do i still have goosebumps <laughs> i you know it's funny you say that like when you get in there i heard this yesterday i think it was joe rogan talking about the the thermal layer it's like you sit there for a minute after a minute two minutes you're going for that three minute mark you get that thermal layer and you're like i don't want to move the way to do it right and be get the the little bubbler in there yeah and just for y'all for everyone listening we're talking about a an amazon christmas present right yeah, the, yeah. You know, the, the ice pod where you're just getting in and, you know, the water's pretty stagnant. So, yeah, but I think you get one of those little bubblers in there or those little, 
hydro moving the water it's a whole different experience well there's extremes to everything so i think some people like it's like how hard can we make this or how extreme can we make this but what you have right there all the health benefits are coming from that yeah like when you listen to these guys like there are levels of like you can go too cold where you're not getting the same amount of health benefits like <laughs> like there's levels right like so some of us we're just sort of wired where we think more is better you know like and that's not always the case sometimes yeah. it's just like you just you just right that's that plenty. <laughs> spot on that's funny yeah no i loved it i think it, i think it was great yeah yeah uh, yeah oh for sure we'll we'll get after it again i, I know next time let's finish with this yeah I mean, <laughs> exactly exactly well, just a little bit, um, just getting to some background on you. Can you share with us a little bit about your background growing yeah. up, um, small town Oregon coast? Let's talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, Oregon coast, man, that's where I was born and raised, born and raised on the West Coast. I always tell people, uh, you know, like uh, I'm a West Coast boy, small town, uh, Lakeside, Oregon, uh, beach town sort of. Uh, I could literally go for a run, run through the sand, sand dunes, yeah. like, and uh and so you got the national sand dunes that were right by my house. People would come from all over to camp and do their four-wheeling and all that kind of stuff in the sand dunes. Well, I would jog to the Pacific Ocean and back to my house, which was a six-mile run. Uh, so three miles through the sand dunes. And so you going up and down those sand hills. And uh, yeah, so the, the, the town was small. We had like literally no, like, yeah. Yeah, no fast food restaurants, no stop signs, no school. They would bus us into North Bend, which was 30 minutes. Well, what town are we talking? Are you in Bend? Yeah. Well, it's in Bend. Bend, Oregon is central Oregon. Yep. North Bend is right on the coast. Uh, North Bend, Coos Bay. And so- Well, you're Coos Bay. Well, Coos Bay would be our rival. Oh, no. It's like, <laughs> almost like the Twin Cities. Yeah. Like, you got the North Bend, Coos Bay are like, you know- synced but like there's a there's rivalry between you know north bend was a little bit smaller than coos bay yeah but lakeside is this small little little town that like i mean you were looked down upon by everybody in north bend coos bay because you were coming from you know the little town like you got yeah. you got people that grow up you know i mean we were we were the trailer park kids you know like that that's what lakeside was was a bunch of trailer parks and and uh, so we are on the other side of the tracks. Yeah. Um, we, we had nothing. You know, I mean, we had, you know, some some bars, four, you know, four different liquor stores, you know, but yeah. nothing else. And uh, and that was, that was, I mean, we were the Lakesiders. You know, that's what they would call you. You were the Lakesiders. And, wow. and so, like, if you were from Lakeside, you had this reputation that you and your parents mm, pretty good chance we're playing around with drugs uh you uh you, because being in a small town we didn't have police so yeah. like you would have a policeman that would come sort of tour the town like every every once a, once a week so we actually had people like i had i had a friend they had a friend who was a, a crip he he came from la and he would come to Lakeside. Lakeside was his hideout. So whenever he got in trouble with his gang, uh, he would he would have to leave L.A. because the cops would be looking for him. He would come hide, stay, you know, that was his place that he would go and just hang out for a while to lay low because, you know, and so I'd be playing basketball with this guy that was a crip. He would always pick me to be on his team. That's you know? wild. And I was just a little kid, and he was, like, old, you know, like, but, you know, like, those, the like, 
so you were in a small town where it was a bunch of druggies and and then you know some people that every now and again would show up from these gangs you know that would uh be hiding out uh and then it was made up of a bunch of loggers and fishermen you know because it was a logging community um so a lot of loggers and then people that would be fishermen, you know, commercial fishermen yeah. on the ocean. So that was a that was a town I grew up in, and uh, just small little town, you know. Uh, and uh, and so you grow up a little bit with a chip on your shoulder, I guess. Um, but I came from a solid family, right? You know, like so, like we moved to Lakeside. I was actually, you know, like in first grade, I think, when we moved there. Yeah. And I uh, was there my whole high school. It was, you know, like I was 18, still living there, you know, so I grew up in this this place. And uh, and I came from a solid family. So, like. That's great. You had that support at home. Yeah. Love, so yeah. all my friends came from broken families. I had a solid family. You know, my dad was a pastor. Okay. And, uh, and so that's what brought us there is he was pastoring a church there. Yeah. But we were poor, right? We didn't have a lot of money. So, like, it was like the church, part of the way that they would pay my dad was they would provide housing for him, right? So they would call it a parsonage. He would live in the parsonage. And so we didn't live in a home. Like, a lot of kids, they, they grow up, you know, like in a trailer park, you know. We were church. So the church was our home. Wow. You're right early. Yeah. I mean, in the yeah. So you got the church and then up. Right up above the church was where we lived, and so there, there was a stairway that would go up into like our living quarters. Yeah, and uh, and it was just a small little thing, and uh, and and the church was my playground. So my friends would come over. I never played at my friend's house. It was like my parents probably didn't want me associated with some of that stuff. So it was like and show off. People would always come over to my house. And so we had the church as a playground, you know, and so we'd get these Nerf balls and be running around the church, throwing balls at each other and uh, That's right. playing a lot of these different games. So, yeah. So my I'm sure from their perspective, right. It's like, Hey, if they can come show up to fun place or hanging out with yeah. their buddies, run yeah. around. It's a safe environment. I mean, that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. And Sounds like- it was like my parents were solid. Right. Yeah. And so for, there was something, I never understood why my friends thought my parents were cool, you know, because I didn't think they were cool. You know, it's like, nobody does. Yeah. And it's like, but like my mom, like everybody wanted to hang out with my mom, you know, because my mom was, she had an incredible arm with throwing the football. So it was like, like any time that it rained, the church had this big, like, you know, grass field. And it was like, everybody was like, go to the church, you know, like, yeah. and I go to Marcus's house. And, and then my mom would bundle us up, you know, like, and get us out there in the rain and she'd be throwing us passes and we'd be diving in the water. And that's fun. Just mud football. You know, that's that's awesome. That was what we lived for. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, when I think of Oregon, I, well, Coos Bay comes to mind, like one of my Olympic heroes is, Steve Prefontaine. So I think of like yep. running and, you know, yep. University of Oregon out that way. I mean, yeah. See, I've never been there. I've heard it's yep. amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Everyone's it's beautiful. Um, yeah, Steve, uh, there's a marathon there that happens every year that people come from all over, you know, to run. I have not ran that. Uh, but like, that's that's the history, man. And, uh, and when it comes to mental toughness, that guy, that guy was mentally tough. Because he was a small guy. He was not a natural, like, when you look when you look at him, like, compared to everybody else, yeah. like, he was the underdog. 
Yeah. Like we talk about him now like this hero, but like when you go watch his races and stuff like that, you realize like he was not supposed to win these things. Yeah. There's a story when he first went and ran at Mar- Marshfield because he went to school at Marshfield, uh, which was our rival. But there's a story when they do the mile, you know, uh, for school, like they're testing kids, see what they do the mile. And, and he went out, you know, like a lot of kids do, like when you're, when you, when you get kids that are really young to go run the mile, it's like, that gun goes off and everybody goes out as hard as they can, you know? And it's like, it's sort of funny because it's like, when are the wheels going to come off? And then they're walking to finish, you know? Right. And it's like, yeah. it, they don't know how to pace. Yeah. Well, that's what Steve did. He went out full force and they're just watching. They're like, watch this, you know? And the wheels didn't come off. <laughs> like, he did all, the whole mile, right? You know, like, and the, they're like, we got to get this guy on the tracks. He has a you know? paid on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he just knew how to push when others you know, would, would crash. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, growing up, no kidding, that movie Without Limits, which is so funny that the, I didn't realize until now the name of the podcast, Thrive Without Limits, but yeah, his mentality, it, it, it had a huge impact on me, that show, because it was like, yeah, like you said, here's a guy who's smaller. Yeah. You know, he had a different style of running that, you know, was not your typical running style where he's out front. Mm-hmm. And... I think what was the the quote? It's an amazing quote. It's like to give anything, then your best is a sacrifice to gift, right? And again, that's probably I probably butchered that. Yeah, but oh yeah. I love it because it just shows like, yeah, some of us are born with innate talent. I think it helps, but having that yeah, that go get it, that tough, gritty mindset. I mean that And that quote, like it's 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 all about praising the effort, not yes. the outcome. Yes. And if you look at his Olympic career, you know, he didn't come away with first. Yeah, you got fourth, right? Yeah. Think so it's fourth. like, but we 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 talk about him like he is he yeah like I was sure most people would think that he got gold. Yeah, you know the way that we talk about it, hundred percent. But it was because of the effort that was put out. Yes, because he did get gold when it came to that. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. You know, like yeah, hundred percent. Well, it I mean, amazing story. What was you know? So okay, you grew up in a family, you grew up around the church. Now you ended up in. Becoming your own pastor. Yeah. Right? You, yeah. you segued into, hey, you started a church. You yeah. probably felt comfortable in that in that world. Yeah. My, my, my uh, be like, so like I'm a licensed minister um, with Assemblies of God, which is the organization that my dad pastored with. Um, it's interesting, you know, how you sort of follow in your father's footsteps sometimes, you know, like my dad never pushed uh, being a pastor on me. Um, I never had any intention of being a pastor. Um, growing up, I, I wanted to be a search and rescue worker. That was like my vision. Like, I'm like, I'm going to go graduate. I'm going to go into uh, the Coast Guard. And, uh, cause I figured like that was a cool avenue to serve the country. And then you're saving lives and, uh, Pacific Ocean Coast Guard would be cold plunges like what we just did. Right. Yeah. And also, uh, so I, I was like, I, I wanted to be a search and rescue worker in a national park. So I was like, how would I get there? Well, you got to have the skills. Well, Coast Guard, they're saving people all the time. So I would learn all the skills that I would need and then maybe transition from that into like a national park because I love the outdoors. Like, and, and I love the venture. And so I was like, that was the avenue. That was my mindset of where I wanted to go uh, and what I wanted to do with my life. But when, when I was five years old is when I gave my life to Christ. Um, 
And, uh, and so like I was living this life watching my parents model what being a Christian was all about. And, and I was following in the footsteps, you know, and, and it literally saved my life. If you look at the community of Lakeside, Oregon and what I grew up with, like most of my friends, they ended up in prison, you know, uh, like I have a, a lot of friends. Like when you, when I start ta- telling stories of my best friends, I'm like, man, these are still some of my best friends, yeah. but they have had some hard bumps along the way. Right. And, uh, and so I really think that, you know, my parents and, and their faith with, with Christ, you know, kept me out of that, going down that path. Yeah. But there comes a moment in your life where it can't be just your parents' faith. It has to become yours, right? And that happened for me right around my high school, when I was in high school. I think it was a, a, probably a freshman in high school when, that, when it happened. I was at a church camp, and uh, and I was just... At, I, I went up for prayer. I was praying at the altar and it was like, God was like, do you want to chase your dreams or my dreams? And I was like, well, I want to be in step with whatever you're doing. You know, I don't want to yeah. just be pursuing my own things. And, uh, and God was like, well, I think that you should become, you know, a pastor. And it wasn't a pastor specifically. I at first I thought it was like going to be an evangelist, like because evangelists are these guys who go around and speak at camps or speak at churches, and so they're just constantly telling these stories and firing people up about you know giving their life to Christ and all this kind of stuff. And and I was like, man, being the guy on the mic in front of all these people like that seemed cool to me, you know, like and yeah. and traveling seemed cool, you know. So I was like, I want to be that guy, right? But I went home and I told my dad, I was like, I want to go into the ministry and I want to, I want to tell people about Jesus. I want, I'll, I mean, it's changed my life. I want to, you know, to sh- share it with others. Yeah. And we didn't have a youth pastor like a lot of people. So I was literally a sophomore in high school and I became the church youth pastor. Right. <laughs> uh, so I, I started like telling my friends, Hey, on Wednesday nights, why don't you come over? And so they would come over and I'd preach a message out of the Bible to them and we'd do our own little service there. And, uh, and that was a start. But, but I remember the first time that I, I spoke, I spoke a message about Jesus, you know, and I gave an opportunity for somebody to just accept him as Lord and savior of their life. And somebody raised their hand and said, I want to do that. And I was like, that was just such a cool feeling to see them saying yes to Jesus. And I realized that an evangelist, these traveling speakers, they do that. And when that person raises their hand, the next day they're gone. They leave. Yeah. Never to see what happened. And I'm like, I'm not about just getting somebody to raise their hand. I want to do life with you. And I want to walk alongside you and see you then grow in your faith. And so that was a moment where I realized I don't want to just be traveling around speaking at places. Yeah. I want to be a pastor that stays put and walks with people and in the journey of growing their faith. And so, so that when I was 13, it shifted and I realized search and rescue worker isn't what I was going to be doing. I was going to be a search and rescue worker when it came to like eternity. Right. I was going to look for people that were lost and uh, try to, you know, share my faith with them because I really believe that, you know, 
Uh, there is a God and he loves these, these people and he sends people like me, you know, a servant of his and, and sends me to those people to, to share, share faith with them. And, uh, and then if I can walk alongside, you know, them and point them towards things like all the better discipleship, discipleship one-on-one, right? That's great. So that was the, that was the start. And, uh, the rest, I guess is history. Yeah. (laughs) Now. So you started a church, you had ran a church. Yeah. Was that here in Minnesota? Was that yeah. in Oregon? Yep. So uh, after being a youth pastor for quite a few years, uh, over, oh man, what was it? 11 to 15 years. Some, depending on where, well, when you started the clock as being a youth pastor. Yeah. I was a youth pastor for a long time. So lots of stories there. But then I started a church here in Minnesota, the Rogers, Minnesota, and, uh, Church planting, a startup. I mean, it's like any startup. You listen to these entrepreneur podcasts of startups. Church planting is very similar. It's a little bit different in the sense that, like, there's spiritual weight that comes with it. Um, but I started with nothing, and uh, you're you're out there just sort of trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to pay our bills? Where are we going to find people? You know, yeah, uh, like anything, you yeah, got it. It's, it's it's something. Yeah, ground up, building something from nothing, and so like I'm calling people, saying, "Hey, you want to help me start a church? You know, want to be? You know, like I'm I'm out there fundraising. I'm having to reach out to people and ask for money, which I do not like doing. Yeah, hundred percent. Like fundraising is one of the hardest things ever, and uh, I would just rather go work for it, right? But when it came to church planting, there was a lot of money that you had to raise, and and and. Uh, you had to get all the equipment and all this kind of stuff. So we went through a really challenging time of like trying to get all the stuff and equipment and, and build a team. And yeah. And so we started with a few, I mean, literally a handful, I can think of like, you know, five to six people that we started with and, uh, we just started doing church and, and you slowly started to, you know, grow. Um, next thing you know, we were attracting families. We were having that had lots of kids. We had kids everywhere. It seemed, I mean, we had so many kids and, uh, we were a couple of year, I mean, a couple of years in and, uh, we were getting up to about 80 people coming on a regular basis. And it was, it was pretty, it was fun, man. We had a culture. It was, it, it, if you came to our church, you would have been like, this is small, but this is special. Yeah. Because we had special people there and there was a culture that was felt. And it was like, these are people that I want to do life with. And then COVID happened and uh, COVID sort of took the the rug and sort of pulled it out from underneath us a little bit. So for sure. when you're a startup, you don't have your own church building, right? Yeah, we were renting from a school. You want to. School shut down. We got kicked out of our facility. Crazy time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then you're sort of, you know, trying to figure out. And we, we lasted about a year after COVID, like, but it was, it came to that point where it was like, in order to restart, I mean, it was going to be sort of a relaunch. Yeah, or we're going to have to go through the fundraising again, building a team again, because we had people move to Texas because Texas was opening up and they're like, our job is working and, you know, and we can go wherever now because we're, we're remote, you know? And so, so they went and they, uh, they took off. So we, we, we lost people and it was like, you're going to have to start up again. And so it was like, nah. 
do we want to do that? And uh, and so we ended up just pointing people to some other churches, and and then we jumped into another church ourselves, not as pastors, but just attending. Yeah, and uh, and so so that journey just changed a little bit. Yeah, it's like hey, you know, you're on this track. So many people in life had to change dynamics from that time. I mean, and. But it sounds like you guys adapted. Yeah, right? and, and yeah, and that's what it is. It's adapting. And there's there there was another church that was starting up that we knew was a help going to be a healthy church. So it was like rather than just put our head trying to make something happen and burn our people out, um, which you, you can that can happen in a church plant. You can burn good people out. I care more about the people. I don't want to burn people out. I'd mm-hmm. rather point them to a healthy place and say, rather than us become an unhealthy church that's just trying to make it, let's be honest with where we're at and let's let's point people to healthy places. And so that's what we did. We pointed people to healthy places and then... Uh, we uh, humbled ourselves and said, you know, I'm, I don't have to have the title pastor. I can I can do something else. Yeah. Well, I hate props to you to be able to step back and detach. And yeah. Sounds like your heart was in the right place as far as, hey, let, let's help each of the people that were with you. And Absolutely. That's a tough change, though. That's a, it you, is. You pour your heart and soul, you sacrifice into something to only look like it's a new season of life. And maybe yeah, I, new, I mean, I, like we're talking yeah. five, six years you know, from the beginning of the fundraising to the starting of it to the, you know, like that you look back now, it's very easy to look like you just wasted five years of your life. Yeah. You know, um, because you gave up, I mean, so much to make it happen, right? Like you gave up a paycheck, you, you like you ended up spending all your, your savings on trying to pursue this dream. Um, you, you know, like, I mean, there were a lot of, a lot of challenges that we went through in that season. And then you also, when you go out on your own like that, like you do feel like you're out on your own. Like you feel like, cause you're not, you know, like, I mean, like there's not a crazy support system. You yeah. Know? Like, and so we'd be lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then you ask, then you ask some people to come help you that you thought would, and they don't. And then it's like you you you're the like, ones you think are gonna be there are not. And then there's some people you're like, you're not sure they're gonna be involved and they're there all the time. You're like, right. oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah. You, you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well wow. crazy. Yeah. Good. Now so COVID happens, the churches kind of you guys are phasing that out. Yep. And I know now it's just I mean, you're a business owner, you're a small business, you're you're growing this business. Tell us about what you did next. What did you get into? Where did you go? Yeah, so one of the things that I I did was uh, when we were church planting, uh, you're not making enough to provide for your family off of a church planter's salary. (laughs) So you got to make money other ways. And so one of the things that I did is I fell back to what I did as an 18, 19-year-old was I had a sprinkler irrigation job. And uh, so I went back to my owner and I said, hey, like, we're thinking about being around doing a church plant. Can I work for you for a little bit? So he was allowing me to work for him a couple days a week. And then uh, I ended up transitioning from him to work for my cousin who also did irrigation. And I did his irrigation stuff three days out of the week. And then two days I was working for the church. So that's how we sort of paid the bills, uh, church planting. And then when we shut the church down, I said, well, you know what? Like, 
I've been doing sprinklers since I was 18, 19 years old, right? Yeah. You know, like I'm doing- I have a skill set here. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so you realize I learned a trade without meaning to learn a trade. I learned a trade and I'm really good at it. So why not start my own thing? Yeah. And so um, so that's what I did. I, I sort of went out on my own and uh, started with one day for myself and four days with my cousin and uh, doing his stuff. And then just slowly, you know, he allowed me to take another day, another day. Next thing you know, I'm filling up a whole week uh, mm-hmm. just serving people in the community. And what's cool about it is God gave me a scripture, a word, and he told me to plant myself in this area. Oftentimes when a pastor reaches a place where they're done pastoring, what they do is they dust off that resume and they send it out and they're moving to a new community to pastor in a new church. And I, I, I had built a pretty good network in, in my pastoring days. So I had a lot of connections. And so if I wanted to do that, there were opportunities out there for me to step into a lot of existing churches rather than go and start from nothing, I could have went and stepped into something that was existing very easily. But God told me to plant here. And one of the, he gave me a couple like directions. One was to get a house. One was to plant a garden, which is a little bit weird because I've never done that. And was to raise my kids up and eventually marry them off so that I could be a grandparent. That was a word that he gave me is like, develop your kids, raise them up. And then he told me to pray for the prosperity of the community that I was living in and that its prosperity would become my prosperity. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but okay, whatever. I'm going to pray that God just blesses this area. And it's cool because like when I stepped out to start my own irrigation like business, all I'm doing is I'm serving the people of this community. Yeah. And all the jobs that were coming my way were five to 10 minutes from my house. So it was literally like, and it's like irrigation is one of those things like, you don't have to have it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have to have a green yard. This is an elective upgrade. Yeah, exactly. Rich people have sprinkler systems, right? Like, like because like if times get tight, you don't need to spend money on your sprinklers, right? Not watering that lawn this. Yeah, time. yeah, exactly. So like, so I just I, as I was praying, I was like, God bless our community, bless you know, like and and there's houses going up everywhere in this community. Like, I mean, like we're talking the Twin Cities. Yeah, Twin Cities, right outside of Minneapolis and St. Paul and Minnesota. Yeah. And these are all brand new homes, and every home that gets built gets installed with a sprinkler system. Me. And, no. and so it's, it's like, like a standard now. Yeah. And these people are buying these homes and they don't know how to run them. They don't know what to do with them. And then the houses don't get built with decks or fences or landscaping around the house. And so every sprinkler, when they want to put a patio in or a deck or a fence, all these sprinklers are on the wrong side of the fence or in the wrong places and they have to move. Yeah. Well, a lot of the irrigation companies that are out there, they... Uh, <laughs> they they just want to install because that's where their money is. So there's a lack of service people out there. Yeah. And so I became a serviceman where I can show up quicker and faster than a lot of these other companies yeah. and just take care of the smaller jobs, which makes me enough to provide for my family. That's amazing. All that I need. That's such a cool story. Yeah. Well, and even taking a step back, a good friend that I wrestled at the university. I mean, he's a, he's a high school coach. His name is Joe Grigalfo. He's a great friend. Yeah. He runs an awesome company. And he, I remember him alluding to the fact that, Hey, 
it's like the sprinkler industry. It's underserved, right? Like there's there's a market there. There's people that need help, and there's not enough maybe help in there. So yeah. sounds like you you saw a need, you yeah. jumped on it, you had experience, yeah. and yeah. Um, I mean, I do a great job. You've done. I know yeah. you've helped because again, I don't know a thing about it. Yeah. I know I've connected with some other people as well, and yeah. Nothing but great things. So where can people, where can people find more? What's, what's the name of your yeah, company? All, all the buzz sprinklers and, uh, you can find us and reach out to us, uh, on Facebook or Instagram or, or, uh, yeah, all the buzz sprinklers. So, all right. We got a website. It's nothing special. So you, you do startups, blowouts. Yep. And yep. the changes, it sounds like the service work that needs to be done. Yep. We start them up in the spring and, uh, then during the summer, if there's, you know, things that need to be fixed. I don't install. I don't do full installs. I could. Um, I, I used to always joke and say I would do one install a year just to remind myself not to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't run a big crew. It's just really me and, and my boys as as uh, they're growing up. And uh, so we, we're, we're just keeping it small and that way we can bring the best service that we can. And and uh, yeah, yeah. So we're not doing the bigger jobs. We're just doing the the small smaller jobs where we're fixing things and and bringing upgrades because that's the thing. Like sprinkler systems, you can have them, but they're only going to last so long. It's like your your car tires. Like yeah, you got them. You know, you get so many miles, but eventually you got to replace that tire. Same with the sprinkler. And eventually it's going to start leaking around the shaft, and eventually they're going to get hit by a lawnmower or stick up or whatever. And so people just want to replace and and upgrade and. And there's always bigger and better things coming down the pipeline each year, and uh, we can be a part of upgrading systems. So, well, that's it. That's where it's at. Uh, yeah, if you need sprinkler needs, reach out to Marcus. It sounds Absolutely. like we love it. Um, you know, to, talking about family involving your boys, I know we have a mutual interest. We met through wrestling, right? Yeah. And you know, I know you have an an amazing family. We've spent been able to spend time together, which has been so much fun. I mean, talk about you know. What makes, I know family is something you're super passionate about. And you'll say, like, you felt called, like, you know, and, and again, I just want to say thank you for coming on. And I want to start with you because this is the first podcast I've done for uh-huh. ever, for one. Yeah. But two is, was, was faith, right? I mean, if just for me personally, like listing, it's, it's faith, it's family, you know, then it's an into your, you know, your career, whatever you want. But starting with faith, well, I was going to talk a little bit about, what do you think makes a strong family? You know, for yeah. you with, you know, whether it's talking about your kids or sports or family, like what do you think is the makeup of a strong family? There's three things, three things that are needed for a strong family, mm-hmm. I believe. Thing one is a strong man. It takes a strong man to have a strong family. Yeah. Second thing that you need is a strong woman. It, it takes a strong man, it takes a strong woman, and then it takes marriage, right? If you want a strong family, it takes those three things. The thing that's interesting about marriage is marriage is the oldest institution in the world. There's nothing, there's no institution that is older than marriage. And it's something that God created. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, right, uh, is where God creates everything. And right there in the very beginning, He talks about this is why a man would leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, right? And that is the institution of marriage. And it's right there in the very beginning of the Bible. And so like we, we think oftentimes that marriage is getting watered down in a lot of different ways, right? Like now, now you have, you know, the government, you know, actually has a portion where they sort of push marriage and they're, 
redefining how that looks, right? But the the thing that's interesting is why does why does the government even push marriage, right? Well, the reason why is that strong families make strong communities. Strong communities make strong states, which make strong nations, yeah, right? That's correct. Like, if you study history, you can find that, like, the strongest families create some of the strongest nations. And that's just sort of like, but when the family unit begins to break apart, you'll start to see civilizations break apart. It's so fascinating. Yeah. And so America realized that. And so they, they actually give incentives to people getting married. Why? Because marriage is, there's something about it that creates a strength in a nation, right? And now we, we see that like there, there is something that's a little bit different. There's different ideas around the nation, you know, the idea of marriage, right? Yeah. But ultimately, you got to go back to the roots of what is it originally? Originally, it's something that was God ordained and God made. And so if you step into a biblical model of marriage, it's going to point you down a path that's going to create a strong family. Amazing. But you got to be a strong man and you got to be a strong woman. If you have a weak man and for a weak woman or one of them's weak, then all of a sudden these these principles that are biblical principles for marriage, well, you don't execute them. And if you don't execute them, then you have a weak family or the family breaks apart. And that's where you start to see divorce fall in. And that's when you start to see all these unhealthy things. It's because you don't have strength to actually implement some of these biblical principles. And so I love it. I love it. That's great. That's great insight. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we, I know we've talked about wrestling and, and this mental t- right now, this season of life, how many children do you have? Five. You have five. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's amazing. I have three. Yeah. And I think that's crazy. So I can't imagine five. Yeah. I mean, what I mean, more? Three is, it's not much different. Yeah. Because you're outnumbered at three. The yeah. moment you get outnumbered is the moment that it, you know, like it actually gets easier with more because then the older kids help. You. <laughs> it feeds itself. Yeah. If you would have just kept going, you know, like you would have, yeah, you would have got to the easy side. Yes. And it's like, well, and it amazes me. It's like we all have hard seasons of life, right? Yeah. Like for me, you know, I made an Olympic team at a young age, let's say, or you have challenges. That was hard. But looking fast forwarding, I was telling my wife yesterday, it was Thursday, and we have three kids. They are collectively in five different sports right now. And by the time Thursday night rolls around, you you are at home, you're like, this might be the toughest thing I've ever done. It's right. You know, by the time you, you, you work, you were like props off to all you parents out there going and getting it. And it's like the unsung heroes of today's world, right? Running these kids around and mm-hmm. it's, but and you realize it's such a short season mm-hmm. with your oldest kid. They're 10 years old. It's like, I've got eight more years. Yeah. And then they're gone. And you're realizing, you know, I've heard about this 80, 20 principle, like, what was it? You'll spend 80% of the time that you spend with your parents, you know, by up until the point you leave their home to when you move out. And it's like, that's a crazy fact. If I want to soak this time up, yep. you know, and it's so rewarding, but it's so challenging. I mean, being present in present is challenge. Twenty twenty four, that phone. Mm-hmm. So like, you 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 nailed it right on the head. It's a season, right? And so, like, if you're not present, you're gonna miss it, yeah. and you don't get it back. So, for you, what is? And this is what I was alluding to. What are your non negotiables for family? For maybe it's talking about like you said, is it presence? Is it what for you is a non-negotiable when it comes to family? Hmm. 
Yeah, non-negotiables. Um, man, like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm always gonna fight. I'm always gonna fight, and, uh, and because that's what it is. I really believe that there's always a war that's raging in, in inside of trying to pull get you to miss out on things, right? And so I want to fight for my family, um, and. There's another force, I believe, that is always fighting against your family, right? There's always things that are trying to take attention away, uh, to take your kids away. They're like, I mean, there's so much that is just pulling at us in all these d different directions. So like a non-negotiable for me would be to just follow the flow. Because like, I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, this is goal setting too. Like, like if you don't have a goal then where do you end up wherever life takes you? Right. Yeah. Like, you're at the mercy of the mm -hmm. currents, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the currents can take you so many different places. And that's the challenge. I think when it comes to raising your kids and, and being in a season is you can sit there and ride the currents and you can have good times and bad times, you know, like during all of that and just let the current take you these places. And it might take you to some good places but then it's also going to take you to some bad places and where it ends up, who knows? Instead, like, I want to be somebody who's being intentional and, and I want to be fighting for my family so that when the good and the bad, because storms are always going to come, right? You're going to have some hard times, but at least when the storm comes, I have a, an objective of where I want to get to. So that I can at least navigate in a way that the storm eventually becomes easier and easier as I face it. And yes, the storm does get me off course a little bit, but I can at least redirect when the storm settles. I can redirect and say, okay, I'm a little bit off on where I was aiming. Yeah. And I can redirect to get where I need to be. And you're talking sports, like, you know, sports are one of those things. They suck up so much time. And so I constantly am having conversations with my wife as, as far as, okay, where are we headed? Is, is this the avenue of where we want to head? Or do you take in stock? You yeah. take in stock. I love that. Yeah. You're doing check-ins. You're like, yeah. hey, where are we at? Uh -huh. I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's great. Yeah, and so it, sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes you're just too far down the road, and you look back and like, was that it? Yeah, that's a great idea. Take yeah. some. I like it. Yeah, and in the storm, it's really hard to do that. But when when things are good, it's like put your plan together, right? During the storm, you got to buckle down and you just got to make it through and not flip over, right? You know, or or sink. Um, but like in those good seasons, build a plan so that when the next storm comes, you can navigate a little bit better, and then not get taken so far off course that you never really get back of course 100 and it's never too late to get back on course yeah but it is sometimes too late with your kids to get back on course yeah because there does come a moment where that like you're always going to be the parent but there comes a moment where it shifts and your parenting is from a point of letting go and advising rather than really steering and directing yeah you're no longer the director and so you got a short window to direct. And so you got to be really intentional with it. That's great. That's great advice. What I'm sure is your years as a youth pastor, you've seen it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I, again, it's something I've been trying to dive into as a parent. And that, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for the awesome advice. Yeah. No, it's huge. Be intentional. I mean, talking about being intentional, 
I know I wanted to talk to you a little bit about ultra running, right? Yeah, I, mean, what, I mean, yeah, I know we've talked a little bit in the past. You've done some, sounds like some races, right? You've run some ultras. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm not a runner. I'm not an ultra runner, but <laughs> I have ran some ultras. Um, yeah. So, um, hard things, right? I mean, you like doing hard things. You've done a few yourself, right? Tried, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so every year. Like let's try to get a little bit. Like when you stop wrestling, wrestling's hard, right? And uh it is. It's a tough sport. Yeah, a little bit. There's a lot of good yeah, things. Yeah, it teaches you a lot of good things, but it's a little bit hard. And like when you're done with wrestling, like wrestling is it's one of those things that's for life, right? But like it's not like playing tennis. You can play tennis when you're 80 years old, right? So they're coming to play tennis. Yeah. Let's start there. The word play. <laughs> you don't, don't play wrestling. Yeah, right. And and so like there comes a point where like you're no longer doing your sport, the thing that you love, the thing that you enjoy, the thing. And what was it that you loved about it? Like I, for me, one of the things that I loved about wrestling was I loved that it was hard. I loved the the challenge of it. So when that season for me ended. Like I went through like, cause I didn't wrestle in college. I just wrestled in high school. Yeah. And so like, after that was done, like I was, I was battling on like, okay, what's next. Right. Yeah. The wheels are turning. You're going. Yeah. Like what's my, well, what do I, what do I do that's hard now? Yeah. I, so a funny story is I went, I went like, cause I moved to Minnesota right after high school. And, uh, and so that's where I ended up in the mi- m- Minneapolis area. I actually went to the Minnesota Wolfer wrestling room, asked if I could just come to practices. What year was this? <laughs> what year was this? Uh, like I, uh, man, I, what was it? 2001. So this is like national championship teams when, mm-hmm. yeah. Brock Lesnar. They told me if I didn't go to high school there, I couldn't come in. Yeah, <laughs> but I was so naive. Like I, I had no idea. Like I, so awesome. I was like, I just wanted to work out, and I didn't like working out in a gym. Like I was like, the only workout that I ever did in my whole life was in a wrestling room. Yeah, just wrestling. And I was like, maybe they need bodies to beat up on, you know? And like, and I'm like, hey, this is a liability. Man. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what. Yeah, I'm so. So far. I was searching, you know, like where what's next for me, you know, and yeah. uh, and I was I was hiking on the North Shore up on Lake Superior, camping out, doing some hiking, swimming, cliff jumping, all that kind of stuff. And I saw these guys that and and women, men and women that were running a race. They had all these markers on the trail that were there, and they kept passing me, and yeah. they're jogging a trail run, you know, trail race. And I was like, that's cool. And as they were going by, I'm, like, cheering them on, you know, like, come on, you got this. But as I was cheering them on, like, I was, like, saying, come on, suck it up, push it, push it. You know, like, I'm cheering on like they would cheer me on in wrestling. You know, in wrestling practice, coach is telling you to suck it up and push, right? So they're going up a hill, and I'm telling them to push it and suck it up, you know, trying to motivate the only way that I knew how, which was how my wrestling coach would motivate me. And they're glaring at me. They're swearing at me. And they're, like, all upset. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, And finally somebody was like, you do realize that we're running 100 miles, and I was like, so great. I was like, oh, how far? A hundred miles? I didn't know people could run that far. Yeah. 
Like, what year was this? Was this early two thousand? Yeah, I was. I was probably nineteen. Yeah, I was, okay. I was right around that same time. Okay, uh, two thousand one, two thousand two, and uh, and so like, not nearly. Ultra was not nearly as big as it. Yeah, is. it was not a popular thing back then. And uh, and so for me, this was my first exposure to it. I didn't know it was possible for for us mankind to run a hundred miles in one go. I didn't know that was possible. But as a 19-year-old naive kid that thinks he could make the Minnesota Gopher wrestling team straight out of high school and nobody was after him, you know, no no scholarships were coming my way. You know, like, here my naive self thinks, I, I go from thinking it's not possible to now I've seen people do it and I instantly thought, I could do that. Right. You yeah. know, like, yeah, why not? Because I'm looking at and and these are older men. They're 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 women. You know, like I'm like, there's no girl that can do something that I can't do. Right. You know, like so I just just being a dumb, you know, teenager, you know, young adult, like I just instantly thought I could do that. But did I ever attempt it? No. But it was always it was put in my head like. Wow. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. You want to yeah. get a shot at something. Yeah. And so years went by. I was pastoring, youth pastoring. So every night after youth ministry, we'd be at Applebee's and eating half-off appetizers, drinking Mountain Dew, like, you know, meeting with people for lunch. Like, so I'm just like, my wrestler side of me is drifting away. I'm losing it. And I'm becoming this fat, out-of-shape pastor, right? Yeah. So there's there was something, I, I lost the... The thing that kept me healthy. You lost that edge about you. Yeah. That, that. Yeah. And and when you become a pastor, like I had, like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to be careful with, I'm dealing with people now. Yeah. And, and so like, I couldn't be hard on people the way that I was with my wrestling buddies. And so there was, there was something that got turned off inside of me. Yeah. And I got very, very unhealthy. And, uh, and then... I, I reached a moment where um, I needed to make some changes in my own life. And so my wife sort of helped me a little bit with getting my eating back on track. Because I got to the point where I would go up two flights of stairs, I'd be out of breath, Jake. Yeah, yeah this is not good. Yeah. And you're in a place where you're like... Um, well, I'm, I've hit the low point. Yeah, I've hit I, that I point. used to be this like guy who like prided myself in how hard I could push and how far I could go, and now I can't even go up two flights of stairs without being out of breath. Right. And I'm, I, I felt like I was needing a nap every day, and I'm yeah. in my twenties. Yeah, you know, mm, like, like something's off. Something's got to change. Here. Yeah, and so I read the book. Um, Born to Run. Have you ever read that book? Born to Run? I have not. No. You need to read it. Who wrote it? Um, Christopher something. Okay. Um, Born to Run. Yeah, Born to Run. Oh, check it out. And uh, it's it's all about these ultra runners. And so, like, I hated running because the only way that I associated running was with cutting weight. Yeah. And so I hated running. But I read this book and it was like, wow, this is interesting. Like, we're designed to run. And these people are running these crazy distances. And it's telling these stories of these native tribes that are running, like, a marathon a day. And and it's talking about these guys that are running three 500-mile races. And I'm like, this is fascinating. But then it also gets into, like, this whole movement of barefoot running whole nother yeah, yeah. Whole nother, so it's but. like our foot is designed in a special way so i'm like okay i'm gonna run a marathon you know like yeah. I've, I've i've had this here i'm gonna do it <laughs> so 
I waited till my wife went to work and uh, it was my day off and I filled up a water bottle after she went to work. I drove 13 miles out. I put the water bottle by a sign. I drove back home and I said, I'm going to run this marathon. And uh, it was like a hundred degree day. And so I took off. I was living in Coon Rapids. Uh, and uh, and so Coon Rapids, Minnesota, and I, I just ran down Hanson, 13 miles. And uh, it was like, I started out feeling like really good. Like, I'm like, I know how to do this. I'm just going to, because I just knew that I could run a marathon. I mean, who couldn't run a marathon? It's 26 miles, right? Around mile nine, it started getting really, really hard. <laughs> like, I started to feel cramps in my legs. And I like, I had ran out of water, you know, like I, I hit the wall. Yeah. The wall. It was in bad shape. So I, I made it to my water bottle with a little bit of walking here and there. And I hitchhiked. That's great. Yeah. I was like, Hey, I got to hitch a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Who's this guy? I pick him up. Thumbs up. Yeah. Exactly. Some random guy picked me up and, uh, and I felt so defeated, you know, like I was like, and all of a sudden, I was like, I couldn't run 100 miles. It was like, finally, the realization of like, I got to train. Yeah. So that started this process of me getting into just running here and there. And uh, and then I did my first ultra a couple of years after that. Yeah. And that was, once again, it wasn't me taking action to do it. It was, I told somebody about the book Born to Run, a buddy. He read it. And he was like, this is amazing. we got to do this. And so he said, let's do an ultra together. And so he found a 50-mile ultra yeah. and uh, said, let's do it. So I signed up, and uh, he was going to sign up, and he missed the deadline, and he didn't sign up. But now I'm like, okay, well, whatever. You know, I got I, I got to do it. And, yeah. uh, and so I ended up going and doing it, and it was ugly. I, I, I like, Hey, it's, it's not supposed to be pretty. Yeah. It's not supposed to be, yeah. I, but I made it through and I, I crossed, I, I, I checked that box. I still, you, I still have not ran a hundred miles. That's so, right. Um, that haunts me and is still back here where I feel like I need to check that box and, and do it. But I have done a couple fifties and I've done a lot of 30 milers. So, so. Well, props to you. I mean, next step, next step, getting that hundred miles in sound of Train on getting yourself positioned to, you know, I did, uh, at this point, no, <laughs> I tell you what, so I, I mean, not to get too into it, but we did the 12 hour tough mar with my yeah. friends last summer yeah. and same type of deal. I'm from the wrestling community my whole life. That's kind of been my realm. And you step it outside of that to be like, Hey, let's tackle this challenge. I'd done five or six of the three mile, five mile tough mutter or Spartan yeah. race. And I was like, oh, let's level up. So we get a group of three, four of us. Let's go do this 12 hour overnight. So it starts at seven. You go till 7 p.m. till the yeah. next day till 7 a.m. And I never run over 10, 13 miles, right? When I was coaching at some camps. And here we go. I get, you know, 32 miles in and my leg, you know, I did something to my knee. I was like, what am I doing? But yeah, I tell you what, the feeling after, oh, it was amazing. And it was like, it alludes back to that mindset. Yeah. Of being in that place again, like, you know, you feel beat up, you feel depleted, you feel tired, all the, you know, 
the everything that is so comfortable in our life is gone. It's just it's just your bare bones of what's left over of who you are. And how life, it hurt. life gets no. hard. It's a great feeling. Life always gets hard. You go back to those things in your head, and you're like, I did that. Yeah, hundred percent. And so it's something that you pull on in hard times. Yeah, it's a it's like a resi- what do they call it? Like a resilient data point, right? It's like they have the shock for that tough mutter. Like the oh yeah, they had the shock. Oh, they had, they had, yeah, yeah, all the and, you know the cold plunge. They had everything. Did you get that? Yeah, it's it's it was <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it was, it was great. great. Yeah, and yeah. here's the and sharing that with some friends, right? So I know like every year it's like okay, we did one. Right, let's do let's do two races this year. And so right now we're looking at I think the Mata Hey. Yeah. Yeah, it's a mountain bike race. Yeah. You have a friend yeah. that runs it. Yeah. yeah. So that's one. Nick, Nick Yavara, shout out Nick. Yeah, shout out Nick. We got to get him on here. We'll, we'll reach out to him. Another one, my buddy Lily just told me about this today. It's a marathon where you're carrying a canoe with a yeah. with a partner the entire time. It's like if you, I'm like, what are you talking about? Dude, but you put this canoe in, you run a marathon. Yeah. So just, I'll just fun challenges yeah. all about it. Yeah, so they were. I think that I've heard of that race up in Ely. Yeah, and it's like there's no water involved. Yeah, unless I said it's like you paddle. Yeah, no, and he's like, we don't paddle. Look, you carry the canoe the whole time, like 26 miles. I did find one. Uh, Old Lumacraft. It, it, it was a race in Minneapolis, down in Minneapolis. It was a Red Bull. Yeah, yeah, Red Bull. Red Bull. On, and it was like with a canoe yes. partner, but you did have water portions as well, which I thought that would be interesting and fun. I think you can do good at that. Amazing. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. I'm about to talk more about but it. See, here, to- here's what you need to do. You need to do the burpee mile. All right, yeah, let's talk about this. What's yeah. the burpee mile? Burpee mile. Dude, this this is where it's at. You need to get your buddies together, okay? Yeah. Uh, because you've got a handful of buddies that do this stuff with you, right? Yeah. I'm telling you, burpee mile is worth what is it you don't have to spend any money there's no three yeah i bear called a mile <laughs> i done buddy carries yeah. for two miles so the but same it's same principle right all right you go to a track you got you got to get around the track you know four times but all it is is you do a burpee and then instead of jumping up and clapping your hands above your head you jump forward you do a forward jump and then you do another burpee forward jump Another burpee, forward jump. Do you have to do a full push-up in there to do yes. that over? Ooh. Well, I mean, it. it yeah, your, your, che- your chest has to hit the ground. So you're dropping all the way. Yeah. Down. So you're doing a. F- yeah. Yeah. So so like your push all in. Your push-ups are not like strict push-ups. Like you just got to get back up to your feet. Have right? you done this? I have. It's the hardest thing I've ever. I have. Did you finish it? Uh, yes, only because I never wanted to do it ever. Wow. So, but here's, here's the thing with amazing. these things. Like this, this was the hardest thing that I, I think I'm, well, it was, I've never had my body hurt more than this after this. A buddy of mine had never run a marathon and he was like, I want to do this. And I was like, well, let's go do it this weekend. Yeah. You know, cause now that I was running ultras, I, I was like, Amer- like when you're training for a 50 miler, you're running marathons all the time. And so I was like, we can do this. I'll just help you. And if we have to walk, we have to walk, but let's check that box so that you can say that you've done it. Yeah. And he was like, ah, you know, he was like, yeah, let's do a burpee mile. That's only one mile. And cause I had mentioned a burpee mile and how, how that was on my list of things that I had heard about that I wanted to try. And I was like, I know it's only one mile, which is different than 26, but I'm telling you, the burpee mile, you got to jump a mile. It says yeah. you're, you're doing plyometric jump. Exactly. Squat like, jump. I have a feeling it's going to be harder than 26. And he was like, ah, oh, there's no way. So him and two other buddies of mine, 
you know, they said, okay, this Saturday we're going to do it. So we went to the track and we started and it was like, after you got 25 burpees in, you realize, oh, this is going to be a suck spray. Like, like this race and the suck. Yeah. So the one who came up with the idea, he was cheating like crazy. Like he's, he's not really doing his jumps. He's not really doing his burpees. He's just goofing around. You know, he's just being a clown. And the other buddy that was with me, Kevin, it was Kevin and Pierce. Uh, Kevin was just, you know, like you, Pierce was messing with him. Like him seeing Pierce not actually do it legit was getting in his head and it was breaking him. Because he was like, dude, you're not even doing it. You're not, you know, where for me, I like, I don't care. I just am never doing this again. And so I'm like, you do you, I'm doing me. And so I I just went into my my wrestling zone of mentally going to that dark place, right? And I found my rhythm. And so I, I made it a half a mile. And that's when Kevin finally fell off. He was like, I'm done. I'm out. Pierce. Let's, he didn't even make it a quarter of the way around the first 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 lap. He was out, right? And uh, and so uh, so I like that whole third lap. I had both of them walking with me, trying to convince me to stop because they wanted to go go home and get dinner. You know, maybe to be a cheerleader. Yeah, they're like, oh, Mark, you know, man, I was literally like, let's go home, let's stop. They wanted me to stop because it was like. They're like, this is taking way too long because I mean, we're like three hours into this thing, you know, like, I mean, it was a lot, it, it took me just over four hours. Wow. And, uh, awesome. and so the, the final lap, they realized, okay, like he's going to finish, you know? So then they were giving me some motivation, cheering me on, but yeah, hardest thing that I've ever done. But here's the thing with hard things. There's always something harder. Oh, because for sure. I got done. I'm like, dude, this is such a big deal. I you know, posted about it, you know, online, you know, and my cousin then put, uh, she posted something underneath and she was like, dude, you should sign up for this. And it was a burpee 5k and she, Ooh, wow. So I, I have no desire to do that. You're like, I did what I needed. Yeah. To do. But I'm telling you, you get your buddies together, do a burpee, fi- uh, one mile. Uh, I, I'm sure you could do it faster than me. It took me four hours. I'm sure you could do it probably in three Maybe maybe two and a half. Yeah, I'm really pushing it. Uh, but yeah, it'll get you to that dark place. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so we I know we were talking a little bit about kids getting back to that. Yeah, yeah. Talking about sports. Mm-hmm. How have you incorporated gymnastics, wrestling in your kids' lives? What what benefits have you seen with those sports for your kids? Yeah, you know and. Huge, 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 huge. So gymnastics, I have two daughters, uh, and they both are, are gymnasts, um, level, uh, six and, uh, level three. So they're, they're on that, you know, build, building their skills and stuff like that. So they're young. Um, and then my wife got a job actually coaching at the gym, uh, revolution, shout out revolution in Rogers, Minnesota. Yeah. We, I knew nothing of gymnastics. Uh, until I had kids, my wife had done gymnastics as a kid a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and so she knew some stuff about it, but like, as it's the mother of all sports, they're so strong. Yeah. So strong. It almost volume of time and, and you, training. you coach wrestling, like, and with the little, little ones, how many kids just starting out don't know how to move their body. You see it all the time, right? Yeah. It's like they can't even figure out how to like they're so you you'll get a five six year old that doesn't know how to do a forward roll. It's 
crazy, isn't it? But the it's this base. It's it's a base for every it, it is. Father of all, it's absolutely amazing. Well, and no wonder it's like okay, the Olympics roll around every four years. Yeah. Now those World Championship years, maybe not as mainstream, but we're in what January? Okay, come the Paris Olympics twenty twenty four. What is everybody going to be watching this coming summer? It's going to be on. It's going to be on prime time, right? All across the country. And who's, well, mind you, the all-around Olympic champion, Sunu Lee, is from, from, from Minnesota. Amazing, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah. girls can look at that and go, hey, th- I mean, that's a huge deal. Yeah. And the thing, I I was like, I, I, was, I, re- I read a quote by uh, Kerry Collette, uh, right? And uh, he said, um, he said, you need to put all your kids you know, in gymnastics before anything else, because it's, I think he was the one who said it was the mother of all sports. And the reason why he said is if you're going to become a wrestler, like how are you going to control somebody else's body if you can't control your own body? hundred percent. And I, and, and when I, when I read that, it just clicked. I'm like, he's hundred percent right. Like the whole point of wrestling is you're trying to inflict your will upon somebody else. So you're trying to control their body and get their body to do things they don't want their body to do. Well, how can you make them do that if you can't even get your body to do things Yeah, if you, with nobody else touching you? You're not doing a pull-up, yeah, a push-up, a squat. And then just growing, growing up, you know, like the coolest kids were always the kids that could do backflips. Oh, yeah. You know, so, be able to so it's like I wanted my kids to learn, you know, like just the basics of tumbling. And so we started them and it's, it's so crazy. And as my wife has gotten into coaching, like she's learning like things like when it comes to getting the body to move in these forms, it's developing their mind, which actually helps them in school. Yeah. Like just learning how the body moves and getting the body to move will actually develop their mind so that they'll actually do better in school. Uh, It builds strength. It builds confidence. It's so funny, like watching my kids as they have learned these things and they go around in these other places. There's a confidence that they have that is coming specifically from the fact that they can move. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and so it, it's just really fascinating to see the development and how it's sort of played into other things. And so, like my boys, we start them at the gym before wrestling. And they're not doing boys gymnastics. They call it ninja or whatever. But it's a lot of tumbling and kicking and just body movements. And so we got them doing that. And and it's really cool. I did not start my oldest boy in it until like he started wrestling first and, and doing baseball and soccer and other things. I wish I would have started him in gymnastics first because it's that foundation. He does some now. And so he's playing catch up, right? Uh, but man, if you can start your kids learning tumbling and just those basic, fun- it's amazing. It's some strength, the flexibility. The well, even just talking about that, like incorporating that into let's talk wrestling for a second. You know, being in the club scene, and you go to, you know, let's say Pinnacle Wrestling School, for example, right? I'd worked there for four years for yeah. Brandon Paulson, Jerry Lawrence, amazing club, yeah, and seeing them or even taking a step back further into when I was at the Olympic training center and you see these people like your whole life, you do the average jog, warm up, some stretching, but now you're seeing, okay, you watch, you watch the best guys warm up, watch the best athletes. They're doing backflips. They're doing cartwheels. They're doing essentially gymnastics. Right. Warm up. Yeah. So now you're building 
explosiveness, athleticism, you know, all these amazing skills that otherwise can be used to, you know, so it's so fun to watch. Yeah. And, and Corby, you're, I think you're spot well, on. Like this. It's so cool. Well, when it comes to tumbling, everything is about hips, which is all wrestling. Like, you know, it's like, how many times have I listened to you coaching kids, like, and you're talking about, like, hip placement, you know, like, and it's like, and getting kids to understand, like, when you're extended away from your hips, you're losing, like, like you got to be under your hip, your hips have to be under you. They control everywhere you go. Well, tumbling teaches that. 100%. And, uh, and so it, on. it's huge. Yeah. But I think I want my boys to marry gymnasts. You know, and my girls, we'll see if they marry wrestlers. <laughs> it's questionable. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's one of those things. I think both are just so incredible and have so many similarities. Because one, it's a team sport that's an individual sport. So, like, you are on a team. So you're cheering on your, your teammates. You're working with them in practices. But at the same time, when it comes time to go, it's you. You can never blame a teammate for your loss or your bad score, right? Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's 100% you're carrying the weight and you know that the outcome is going to be based on what was done behind closed doors in the practice room or at home. And so like, it's just, it's like, it's all effort based. And so like when it comes to like transitioning into life, I think these two sports bar none outdo all other sports. I mean, all sports are, are healthy, but I think these outdo all other sports on preparing you for life because it teaches you how to play with others, but also take responsibility for your own results. And then off of that with gymnastics in particular is you really learn how to set a goal and work towards a goal. Yep. Like wrestling's a little bit different where like you learn all these moves and and your goal is like to beat people, right? And but gymnastics, it's not about beating people. It's about like you're chasing how to do a backflip or do, you know, like it's skill. Yeah. It, skill. And and it's like after you do a backflip, then can you do a double? You know? Regression. Yeah. And th- some of these skills are so far out there and so hard that you got years of working towards that before you get there. And man, when it comes to life. Delay gratification. Correct. In the world in the world of click now, get it delivered two hours later, DoorDash to, hey, you're gonna start this. It's gonna be the ten thousand hours, right? It's gonna be ten years, fifteen years. Yeah. And you're still not guaranteed at the end of it, my yeah. Head. Yeah. But even if you don't get it, it's who you come through the process. Yes. That's amazing. That's great stuff. Yeah, gymnasts and wrestlers, I think, all the time are going to be the hardest workers in the room. It's going to be hard to have a wrestler or a gymnast that does not have a good work ethic. For sure. And work ethic determines a lot life. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, I mean, just first of all, I just want to say thank you so much. I just want to acknowledge you for for coming on the show uh, and taking the time out of your busy schedule of family and life to, to come sit down and talk. And it's been absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, great story. Thank you for sharing. We'll love to get you on again. Dude, I love it. This was so much fun, dude. Yeah. You're you're incredible, yeah. man. I love it. You sharpened me. You made me a better man. And uh, I'm just very grateful for our, our friendship. You as well. Thank you. Have a good day, Marcus. You too. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Thrive Without Limits with your host, Jake Deichler. We hope today's conversation has ignited your inner flame and left you with new insights to help you thrive in your own journey. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review. Stay tuned for more inspiring conversations that will continue to fuel your journey. Until next time, Thrive Without Limits.